Would you stand with me this morning in the honor of the reading of God's word? We're reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And all of God's people said, you may be seated. Before we get into the text, I just want to say I appreciate that last song that we sang. That you just begin to think through, there's this day coming where I'm going to draw my final breath, right? And that as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, which uh, I feel like is uh, something that we've dealt with a lot in recent days. I know I've mentioned that I've gone through uh, three funerals in just a couple of weeks. And I know um, Mr. Tim, Ms. Donna's just come, come back from another funeral. And you begin to, to think about this. There's a day coming where we're all going to go through that valley of the shadow of death. And our Savior is awaiting us on the other side of that. And so we sing praises to him because it, our song will always be forever Jesus. Isn't that what we're going to be praising for all eternity? And that's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful message for us this morning as we worship. Now, in today's text, uh, we get into 1 Peter chapter 5. And in previous weeks, we've kind of talked about the fact that suffering happens, right? And we know we go through life, and certainly they were going to be persecuted. And they had to decide, am I going to live faithfully, come what may, or am I going to back down when things get tough? And so in light of all that, in light of all that has happened, he comes at the end of this and he begins to talk to the elders of the church, telling them what they should do, even knowing that suffering is going to take place. That, you know what, being a faithful pastor or leader of a church might bring you, especially at this time, persecution, right? Peter knew it. In fact, Peter kind of had an idea of the death that was coming to him because Christ had already kind of warned him about what was coming. And so we know that that suffering is something they had witnessed and they saw because Peter had seen the sufferings of Christ firsthand. And he's telling them, the, the elders here at this church, listen, we're all elders or we're all we've all witnessed the suffering of Christ. We're also go, going to be partakers of the glory that is to come. And he gives one big overarching command in this text in verse two, shepherd the flock of God among you. And that's what we want to talk about today. Before we get into that command, though, we have to get into the discussion. What does it mean when it says the elders among you? What are we talking about? Okay, because when I hear the word elder, I think, you know, hey, you need to listen to your elders, respect your elders, honor your elders. And so I automatically just associate that with age, right? And as I look at the text, I wonder, though, is there more that's being discussed, and I believe, I'll just go ahead and throw this out there, that I believe it is talking about more than just age in this text. He's talking about an office in the church. 
And so what I mean by that is we think of the office of the church, and what do you guys think of? Somebody. Deacons. All right, what else? Pastors, right? And so we think those are kind of the two offices in the Baptist church that we tend to talk about more than any others. Now, I want to know, though, in this context, when it says the elders among you are to shepherd this flock, what does that mean? Who are the elders? And if it's not just referring to my age, and it's my belief that many and many other good theologians would back me up on this, and many Bible scholars, there are three words used in the New Testament, three words that are used interchangeably, okay? The word for elders, the word for overseers or bishops, and the word for pastors. And I believe as we find them in the text, they get used, and there's three different words, three different ways of describing in my opinion, the same office in the church. Here's what I mean by that. There's a Greek word, it's presbyteros, and we always just translate this as elder. That's the word that we find in the text today. The elders among you, the presbyteros. By the way, if that word reminds you of something, the Presbyterians, if you ever go to their churches, you notice they have an elder-led model. And so they don't call their pastor the pastor necessarily. He's an elder, and he's usually one of many. And so that's kind of where that word comes from. Now, it's not just that. There's another word, episkopos, which is translated as overseer or bishop, depending on your translation. In other words, one that would exercise oversight. You, again, you get the same idea. You have the, this leader of the church. Then you have another word, poemen, which simply is translated as shepherd or pastor. Now, we're, we're Baptists in here, right? And depending on the Baptist church you go to, the terminology might change. But what do you guys call my position? All right, preacher. All right, let's, let's go to a different one. What else? Pastor, right? A lot of you guys call me pastor. And so we get preacher sometimes. We get pastor. Pastor just is a word that means shepherd. It's just the Latin version of that. And so, but I want to argue in the text that the word elder and the word overseer and the word pastor are for the same position. Now, here's why I say that. <coughs> Excuse me. If you look at verse 1, it talks about elders. That's presbyteros. What are they to do in verse 2? It says shepherd the flock. Well, that's just the verb form of the word pastor. In other words, you could say elders pastor the flock because guess what? They're the same thing. And then right after that, it says exercise oversight, which is the word episkopos, which means overseer. In other words, hey, you elders of the church, pastor the flock and be the overseers. You are placed in this position. You have some authority, but you have a responsibility to care for the flock among you. Now, uh, again, as Baptists, we're most familiar with the term pastor. You guys know how many times the word pastor occurs in the New Testament? One. Only one time. Elders occurs a lot of times. Overseers occurs quite a few. The word pastor, translated pastor, occurs one time. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, there it says, He gave some as uh, apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. That's the only occurrence of pastor used in that way in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting that, that we stick to the word pastor, 
And we cling to that. It's the one we're most familiar with. But it's actually the one that occurs the least amount of times in the New Testament. Now, that same word does occur in other places where it's just translated as shepherd because it's talking about the shepherds in the field. But when it comes to the office of the church, it's only used in Ephesians 4, 11. Now, does that mean that we should change what we call the pastor? I don't think it does. For one, we have to get specific and detailed and understand that these words are being used for the same office. If they're being used for the same office, does it really matter if we call them elders or pastors or overseers? I don't believe it does. I want to. I just want to continue to emphasize that what this elder is uh, comes with a lot of requirements in the New Testament. There's a lot more specific details of of what an elder is supposed to be, and that it's not just about age. Um, if, so before we continue on in First Peter chapter five, turn in your Bible to Titus chapter one. Titus chapter one. Old Titus, actually young Titus, he gets sent to the island of Crete, and the church is kind of in disarray, and Paul gives him a task to kind of put things back in order. He wants to help these churches. So look at First Peter, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to so that he will be able both to exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. In other words, Titus come in. These guys don't have pastors set up in their churches. They don't have elders. They don't have leaders. They don't have someone set up to teach them according to the Scripture to make sure when the wolves come in that they are prepared and someone that can argue and make the, the proper uh, response to those who would come and say, well, none of this stuff is true. And so he comes in, and his job is to appoint elders in each town. Notice, again, it says uh, in verse 5 that he is to appoint elders in every city as Paul has directed him. In other words, as he goes to each place where there would probably be a church in each one of those towns, he was to appoint an elder. He was to appoint a pastor. Notice when you get to verse 7, it says the overseer must be above reproach. Notice it's talking about the same thing, isn't it? The elder and the overseer is just giving one list of qualifications. And what, if you had to describe those qualifications there, the above reproach, husband of one wife, having children who believe, and then you get down to the rest, how would you describe these? Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious. In other words, not someone that just wants to fight all the time. Someone that's hospitable and loving. Those are all character qualifications, aren't they? In other words, when you... Titus, you need to go in those places, and, and he's not so concerned about age. He's saying, listen, I want you to go find a man of God and appoint them as the pastor of this church, and they need to meet these qualifications. They need to be above reproach. In other words, this isn't somebody that's just living in the squalor of their sin. 
and living a worldly life. And so we see there in the text that these qualifications are there. They're qualifications of character. But lastly, I want you to look at verse 9 there. It says, He is to be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Do you guys know, how many of you are familiar with, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a whole chapter, qualifications for pastors or elders, and then qualifications for deacons, right? And that makes sense. I want you to know that because we're talking about deacon nominations, right? And you look at those lists, and they're almost all character qualifications. There's a lot of overlap between the two. Do you know what the defining difference between an elder and a deacon is in those lists? They, the elder must be able to teach. It's primarily, like it carries that teaching role, which is not a requirement for the deacons, the servants of the church. And so as we look at that, uh, that's something that I want you to consider. But notice in Titus, it says that this man, the, the elder, the overseer, must hold, faithful, hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. In other words, we want to know that the pastor of a church follows the scripture rightly, right? Isn't that something you want to know? And when you guys were out hiring a pastor, you looked maybe for education, seminary, but you asked questions. What do you actually believe? And, and I know you guys probably don't know this, but, you know, Daniel called to ask me extra questions, right? Um, I mean, they're, they're just things you want to know. A pastor's coming in, well, what does he believe? Does he follow the scripture, right? And so that was important. In 1 Timothy, if you were in 1 Timothy 3, again, a similar list, the distinctive there is between elders and deacons. It's also interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, that verse that said he gave some as to the church. God gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the last one is pastors and teachers. But the way it's written, it's really pastors hyphen teachers, that the pastor is supposed to be a teacher. That's a requirement. Now, as we turn back to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're looking at a command to the leaders of the church. In this case, um, at Forest Heights Baptist Church, I am the pastor. The command to the elders there is simple. Shepherd the flock of God among you. It's very simple. Now, what do you think about the work that a shepherd does? They're out in the field with the sheep, their sheep. And I don't know if you guys know, but when you take those sheep out to pasture, there are no fences, right? Trust me, I've lived in a country where they still shepherd that way, and sometimes you just have to stop for the flock to go across the road. But the shepherd had to stay with the flock, sometimes day and night for a considerable amount of time. Sometimes at night they could bring them back in. But you had these pastors out there, or these uh, shepherds out there, they had to defend them from the wolves, right? Any kind of animal that wanted to come in and do them harm. And so the pastor, part of the pastor's job is to defend the church, to be able to uh, refute the false teachers and the false doctrines of this world. He also had to make sure those, pa those sheep, the flock, had enough food. What do we primarily feed on at church? It better be the Word of God, right? I mean, the senior luncheon was great. Uh, Brother Leon can make anything taste good. He made some eggplants. Um, he fried up some eggplant, and it was fantastic, right? But is that our primary food? No, it's not. 
the pastor's job, the elder's job, is to make sure we are in the Word of God and feasting on what God has given us. And so that's part of his job, to defend, but also to lead. Think about it. Sheep just kind of wander, right? And if you leave them alone, they might just end up in the wrong place. And you've got to direct them to go where they need to go. Now, I'm not calling you guys sheep. Because I, I could, I've, I've probably made jokes about sheep up here before. Because if you're around sheep, they're not the cleverest of animals, right? And that's not an insult to you because in the grand scheme of things, I'm a sheep too, right? We're all in God's flock. And the shepherd, in the end, is only an under-shepherd serving under Jesus. And so I want to just say that. The, the main command here, let's shepherd the flock among you. Now, I, I like that. I had a pastor point out to me one time. Uh, he said, you know, the, one of the key parts about this text is you have to shepherd the church that you have, not the church that you want. In other words, there's pastors sometimes thinking, you know, I wish I had such and such in my church or this person or people like this. Or, and they're always looking around. And what that pastor told me, he said, you've got to love the people in your flock. Because that's God's flock. Those are God's people. And you now have put in, been put in a position of authority, but you are to love them and care for them. According to this text, he must serve willingly and voluntarily. Voluntarily, In verse 2, it says, He is to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. I tell you what, if someone decides, you know, I want to serve as a pastor out of a sense of obligation, he won't last long in this ministry, really. Uh, it, it's, listen, I don't want to belittle. I, I'm, it's a privilege and honor to be here today, and I'm excited to be here. I really am. And even though, but there are days where being a pastor can be hard. And you all know pastors that have been hurt, and you hear stories sometimes, and and so far, I've been very blessed where that's concerned. And I'm, I'm very thankful for it. But a pastor doesn't do this, should not do it out of compulsion. You can't just get somebody and say, Stephen, you're going to be the pastor next week. It's your job whether you want it or not. You can't do that. And people sometimes ask, you know, well, well, pastor, if it's not out of obligation, how do you know that you were called into ministry, right? How do you know you were called to be an elder, called to be a pastor. And I always go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And there he says this, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now right there he says, he gets the key. Do you desire to serve God in ministry? Do you, do you desire to pastor the flock and care for the flock? If it is, you desire a good thing. And then there, right after that, there's a list of qualifications. Do you desire to do it? Do you meet these qualifications? And if you don't, are those things you can work on in your life? So that later, in, as God calls you and continues to work in you, maybe you can lead the flock and shepherd the flock. And so always come back to that. I believe that when God calls you to do something, especially to serve in a capacity as pastor, he also gives you desire and a passion for that calling. I think whatever God calls you to do, if it's to be a Sunday school teacher, if it's to serve as a deacon, God should give you a desire in your heart 
that you would desire to do it, long to do it, that you want to be faithful in what he's called you to do. That if you wake up every day and say, I just can't stand being a deacon, don't be a deacon. And if I ever come up and I say, you know, I just don't like being a pastor. Well, guess what? I should probably step down. And that's part of it. I believe God works with our desires. Now, I'm not saying when, when you first recognize God's calling you to do something, you might not resist it and fight it a little bit. But I think once you find your peace with it, you always realize God is giving you the desire of your heart. And he's giving you something that, that you should desire and long to do. God does indeed give a person a heart for the ministry. This is good because the text is clear. It says he should not do this for sordid gain. That if you serve in a church solely for the purpose of making money, you are not right. One, it's not a great career path if you're just trying to make a lot of money in most cases. But two, how dare you fleece the flock of God? In other words, this is God's people that you're being asked to take care of. And how much, how dangerous would it be to rob God, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? And sure you can, because you all have probably seen churches where that has happened. Now, maybe you don't have experience with it, but I, I just, this was a perfect headline this week as I was studying this and thinking, that you know, you shouldn't be a pastor for sordid gain. You shouldn't be seeking just to get rich off the church. You can't just look at this like some other vocation. And I was thinking about this, and I looked in, in, in New York this week. You guys may have seen this. A pastor was giving a sermon. It was live streamed, and some robbers came in. Three men came in and, and robbed him. Had, him, had him get on the ground, took his jewelry and his wife's jewelry. And the first headline I saw said that he had $400,000 of jewelry on his person when they robbed him during that sermon. And then I found out, because they also robbed his wife, between the two of them, it was over a million dollars of jewelry on their person. Now, I've warned you guys before about these health and wealth gospel pastors. That they always tell you God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to live your best life now. And what they always end up saying is, hey, if you bless me, God will bless you. That's being a pastor for sordid gain, isn't it? Apparently, he had already made the news one day for showing up at something in his Rolls Royce. And you begin to see that he was in it for prestige and power. This text says the pastor should not be out for sordid gain. Now, listen, I don't, uh, I've also seen pastors that had to live off of chickens. You know, they paid them in chickens. And uh, some of you that are older know exactly, and from a small place, know exactly what we mean by that. And I'm not saying that either. But it's very clear. You don't become a pastor simply to make money. That's not right. And if you ever think I'm doing that, you come and talk to me, okay? Because that's exactly what this is saying. All right. Listen to this. This is John chapter 10. Verses 12 through 15. I'm going to start moving this along a little faster. Jesus said there, he said, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, Jesus is teaching there, and we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he's willing to lay down his life for the flock. And he says, a hired hand, somebody that's just in this for money, they see that wolf come, and what do they do? They run. It's not worth it for them. And a pastor who is a pastor just for money, when danger comes and hardship comes, where's he going? Right out that door to the next place that's going to pay him. Right? That's what he's in it for. And so, isn't it, Jesus, Peter says, listen, don't be in this for sordid gain. You know how Peter knew that? Because he sat under Jesus' teaching, didn't he? Do you guys remember exactly what happened to in this is mark chapter 10 well i'm sorry i'm not we'll, we'll not go there yet you guys remember after he denied peter denied jesus what did jesus tell him after the resurrection he get he comes up to him they'd finished breakfast this is john chapter 21 by the way so they had finished breakfast and jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You guys remember what Jesus told him? Tend my lambs. Take care of my flock. Take care of my people. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So when Peter writes this letter that we're studying, First Peter, he knows what to do. He knows how to instruct these elders because he's gotten the same teaching from Jesus. You need to be the shepherd of my flock. You need to love them and take care of them, not because of them, because you love me. And a pastor must love Jesus. Verse 3 in 1 Peter chapter 5 says, they are not to be lording it over those allotted to their charge. That a pastor or an elder is not a dictator. He isn't here just to compel people and guilt trip them into things. Is not here just to get his own way. Jesus also taught Peter about this in Mark chapter 10. He tells him, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that there are those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slaves of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is repeating that, that same teaching. Don't lord it over the flock. I can't just come out and tell Bobby what to do. Jesus said, don't do it. You need to be the greatest servant in the church. And guys, I'm humbled by that because I don't know how good a job I do. And there will be times where I could know 
that I will fail in that aspect and not be the best servant that I can be. But I do want to tell you that the pastor's heart should have a desire to serve his people and to seek the best for the flock and not for himself. And I believe that's what Jesus and Peter is teaching us here. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 says this, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That crown of glory is the same idea as the reward you would get for winning a race or a sporting competition. It was a wreath that they would put on your head to say this was the winner. It's just the reward that Christ gives to his faithful servants that we are all looking forward to. But notice that he's the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd that laid down his life for the people. That anybody else shepherding the flock, they're just the under shepherds. They work for him. And that's always important to remember. Christ is the head of the church. And we need to know that. And elders and pastors need to be reminded of that at times. Now, as we close this down, I, I debated whether I was even going to get into this. Every time the word elders, or pretty much every time elders or overseers or pastors come up in the Bible in the New Testament, they are in the plural. What that means is, I believe in most churches, God provides more than one person who is, meets the qualifications to be an elder in the church. That it should not be, in most cases, for one pastor to do it all alone. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that they are paid by the church. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are that it's the same type of role, that there might be different types of leaders in the church. But don't you think we need men to answer the call when they are qualified and able to teach and able to take part in shepherding the flock of God? I believe that's the case. And I'm not saying it's necessary that a church has more than one pastor, but I am saying there's biblical precedent for it. And we need to always prayerfully consider if that is something, an option for our church down the road. Again, I'm not insisting on that. I just notice in the text that it's always in the plural. And maybe it could be just because there's more than one church in those cities, and so there needs to be more than one pastors. That's a debate for a different day. But here's what I do know. There's some of you out here, and it's very possible that God is telling you today, tend my lambs shepherd my sheep and maybe you say well today is not that day well maybe he's calling that calling you to that in the future and now's the day to begin to prepare and there could very well be could be that God will call some of you to be the elder or pastor of a church perhaps to serve here together with me we don't know what God has planned but what I do know is this it's very clear in the text those who desire to be an overseer desires a good thing. And that the qualifications are there. And that some of you may meet them. So I encourage you to explore that. If you are there and you are meeting, is God, ask yourself, is God calling you to serve in the ministry? There's work to be done. The wolves are circling. False teachers are out there. And the church needs nourishment 
They need leadership. They need protection. So maybe God will provide that through you as well as me. I encourage you in the coming days to consider that. Pray for this church. Continue to pray for me. I want to be a good servant. I want to teach the word of God rightly. I want to live a life that is uh, of integrity and holiness. And all those things are hard sometimes. Would you continue to pray for me? I ask that you would. We're about to go into a time of invitation. And as we do, as we go through this, would you pray for me? And as we go through the invitation, if you believe that God is calling you and you want to talk about it, come and speak with me after the service. I'd love to talk with you, to pray with you. You don't make that decision alone, guys. And you don't have to make it alone. So come after church, come speak with us, but let's seek the Lord together. What is God calling you to do in your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you that you taught Peter and you were so careful to restore him even when he failed. Father, I thank you that, that you have given us this charge. Father, I thank you for the responsibility and privilege that you've given me to shepherd the flock here at Forest Heights. God, I pray that you'd help me to be a good servant, to lead people as I should, to be a faithful teacher and a faithful leader exercising authority even when I don't want to. And Father, I pray that even as we serve here, God, that I would serve with joy and love. And Father, if there's anyone here in this congregation who you are calling to serve, that you are preparing for future service in the church, God, I pray that you would even now begin to convict them, that even now they'd begin to have a, a desire to serve you in that way. Father, I pray that you would raise up leaders from among our own congregation, that there would be Timothys to come out and Tituses as well, that people would be raised up in this church, learn the scriptures, and desire to carry the gospel to the next generation. Father, I pray that you would do that. And I pray even now that you would move as we pray during this invitation. God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.